Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Kona Shame Show. Gang, the uh, virtual veterinary technician and veterinary nurse graduation was on Sunday. It was amazing. If you want to be inspired, if you want to see something incredible, go over to uh, it's the Kona Shame YouTube channel and it's right there. We've had 1,500 people watch the uh, presentation since it was uh, put up and uh, it really is awesome awesome. If you are a vet tech and you just want to feel good about what you do and feel optimism and hope and, and be reminded of why you got into this, go take a look on YouTube. It's right there. It's the it's the first video. It just went up, but it really is special. Um, shout out to Sanani uh, Ratnayaka, to Kelsey Beth Carpenter, and to uh, Ken Yegi. And Ken's uh, presentation was, God, it was powerful. It was just oh, so good. So anyway, guys, it is worth your time. Go take a look. It really is awesome if you want to feel inspired. Also, if you are a practice owner or practice manager or medical director or you're a high flyer, you are somebody who is growing and becoming a leader and uh, you maybe you dream of owning your own practice or things like that, you want to move up the ranks at one of the corporate practices, check out the Uncharted Online Conference. It's coming up June the 11th. You can head over to unchartedvet.com and click conferences and see what that's all about. But that is the thing I am most fired up about right now. It is getting my full attention. It is going to be an an online event unlike anything that you've seen before. There's nothing else out there that's going to be as hands-on and interactive as what we are putting together, I don't think. So anyway, that's my my passion right at this moment. I'd love to see some of you guys there. That's enough about me and and graduation and conferences. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. We are supported by PSI Vet. Guys, if you know anything about me, you know that I care about our support staff. I want them to have good jobs. I want them to make good income. And I believe that they need health care. Everybody should have some health care coverage. If you're at a practice that struggles to provide this for your team, I urge you take a look at the PSI Healthcare Initiative that came out uh, earlier this year. You can learn all about it at PSIHealthCareInitiative.com or check out our bonus podcast episode from a couple weeks ago. PSIHealthCareInitiative.com. Welcome, Dr. Anita Link. Thank you, thank you for coordinating and uh, <laughs> and taking time to be with us. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, my my pleasure. You are, um, so, so where are you located? Um, I'm in Brisbane in Australia, so that's on the east coast of Australia in Queensland. Um, and yeah, it's about nine o'clock at night here. Yeah, and it's seven in the morning here. So yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm glad that we could we could get this coordinated. Um, I became aware of you quite recently um, when I saw one of your articles. So you have an article mm-hmm. that has really made the rounds recently called "Veterinary Work in the Time of COVID nineteen: Unspoken Truths." Can you talk? Um, can you talk a little bit about where that article kind of comes from, and and maybe weave in a little bit of your background? Yes, sure. Um, So I guess there there are a couple of things that prompted me to write this article. Um, I understand the general challenges of small animal veterinary work from my own experience of working in the field um, for 20 years. So I know that it can be very rewarding work. um, And I also know that at times it can be quite draining too. 
Um, and I'm actually currently taking a break from veterinary work to concentrate on my writing and mental health advocacy work. Um, so with the onset of the COVID pandemic um, and the changes in work practices for vets, I asked some of my veterinary friends and colleagues um, how this was affecting their working quality of life. And I got a lot of feedback um, and one of the reasons that I decided to write the article was that I couldn't see vets and the challenges that they faced during these COVID conditions represented in the media. Uh, so I'd read many articles detailing the difficulties that our doctors and nurses and supermarket shelf stackers and checkout operators were, were dealing with at this time, but nothing for vets. And I think, I think in part that's because the veterinary profession is a bit glamorised, so many people don't view veterinary work as difficult in the first place. And I also know from my own experience of working as a vet that by the time I finish my long work day, um, I didn't have the energy left to write articles about the challenges of my day. So because I'm not working as a vet at the moment, I had both the energy and motivation to research and write this uh, article, and it it has really resonated, I think. Oh yeah, we were we were talking before. It's it's got it's got quite a lot of traffic from all around the world. Obviously, I found it here in the states and thought, oh, we need to talk to uh, to Doctor Link. Uh, so, yeah, you've you've done you. I mean, this is it's a great article. I'll link to it down in the description so people can find it. The 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 part that caught my attention right off the bat. So up near the front, the top of the article, you you say vets don't talk about their work stresses outside their own tight knit vet circles. Some of us don't even confide our struggles in our colleagues. We talk about our cases in detail for hours, but many of us still cringe at opening up about the state of our mental health. And I just, I saw that and I was like, wow, this is somebody who, I mean, obviously who really gets it. And that comes from your own personal experience. It does. Yes. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that sentence does sort of say it all. I think, um, that we, we don't talk a lot about where our heads are at um, and we do talk for hours and hours about our uh, cases. And I think from, I mean, certainly when I graduated um, at the end of 1997, uh, in that time I certainly started out in a culture that was very much about just sort of getting the, the work done and um, you do what you have to do. And mm -hmm. that's, um, I think, yeah, that's a sort of difficult thing because to a certain extent to do this job properly um, and do it well, you do have to get on and do what you have to do. Um, and I think that... It's that it's that fine line uh, between you know doing that and doing it sustainably. So we have to acknowledge that we become, I think, shock absorbers for many of our clients' emotions. And if we don't find a way to decompress the stresses of that veterinary work regularly, then our resilience shrinks, and over time, um, our work will impact negatively on our mental health. And I think it's also you know true. Um, that it's good to recognise two two things can be true at once. You know, you can you can be a good vet and have boundaries to protect your health. Um, this idea that we've got to keep pushing until we no longer enjoy our work and burn out or self distract um, is is really badly flawed. So we need to be able to throw some breaks on that before it gets to that point. I love I love the the two things can be true at once. I got a um, 
I got a Facebook message about two days ago from someone who's one of my Facebook friends that I don't think I have seen with my eyes in 20 years. And it was like, hey, Andy, got a quick dog question for you. Can you hit me back? And I, I just have this policy of text messages and uh, Facebook messages. I, I ignore them for mm-hmm. a number of hours, you know, usually like 12 hours, maybe, you know, um, often 24 hours, but I do not immediately respond. And if people struggle with guilt, I'm like, you can respond, just wait three hours. But yeah. sure enough, you know, two hours later, I got a message. I was like, Hey, don't worry about it. Got it taken care of. I'm like, awesome. Well, that's great. <laughs> oh yeah. I just, but, but I did, you know, I'm, I'll be honest. I do feel kind of guilty when I do it. And I, you know, and I ignore these things and it's, it's sort of to your point of, you know, we feel like, uh, to be a good doctor, we have to spring into action whenever anyone contacts us with a, with a problem or a question. And in this day and age where we are so accessible, I just think that we have to get our heads around the idea that we can be both good doctors and unavailable sometimes. Mm, it's about those boundaries and but it's it, it's not it's not easy to do yeah. yeah let's um let's start to unpack some of the unspoken truths of covid-19 what what um i guess really what what spoke to you most deeply um look i think that it's it's not that there's necessarily um and again this is sort of information that i've gotten from um friends and colleagues this is not mm. my first hand experience so um, ba- that article was based on on that feedback um i think it's not necessarily that there's a whole heap of there's a few new challenges but mostly it's just the um regular everyday challenges that as i said in the article have been put on steroids so yeah um, we usually like to work uh, pretty efficiently and we, you know, it's usually a challenge to just run on time and get everything done. Um, I think things like um, the remote consults, so yeah. where you've got the, you know, the owner staying in the car park and the nurse bringing the pet in. Um I mean, everyone practices differently mm-hmm. as well. I think, you know, for some vets that might be um, – actually a positive yeah. for me personally. Um, I know that I've always really benefited from having the client in the room so that I can look at body language um, as I'm doing the examination and getting a history um, so that I can work out who I'm in the room with. And I very much, um, you know, even before COVID, we used to do things like drop-off consults where the owner would uh, drop the animal in and then you'd have to have a look and call them later. And that, to me, always took a lot more time and was less efficient for the way that I like to like mm. to practice. Um, so I think that there's that. I think, you know, the, the public possibly has some misconceptions about veterinary work and I think, you know, the misinformation... Uh, such as that we spend all of our time either playing with cute puppies or mm. heroically saving the life of every animal we treat doesn't uh, really represent what most of our days look like. Um, you know, our, our patients are often adorable, but we're usually too busy to play with them. Um, some days we do save lives, on others we lose them. 
or we spend the day repeating ourselves to clients when we see 10 dogs with allergic dermatitis in a day. Yeah. Um, I think maybe one of the most damaging myths perpetuated by the public is that vets must earn a lot of money because veterinary bills are high. Yeah. Or that, yeah, a vet doesn't care about animals, the animals that they treat, um, if they don't do it for free. And vets, certainly in Australia, are among the poorest paid professionals, especially medical professionals, um, for the knowledge, skills and responsibility that they carry. Um, and I would say that generally we're highly compassionate. So to be called uncaring or money hungry is nowhere near the truth and really deeply hurtful. And every time it happens, that hurt accumulates. Um, And I think that perhaps with COVID at the moment, it's that challenging situation where uh, that that might be accelerated because the reality is that a lot of our clients may have lost their jobs and may be financially constrained Mm. um, and still under that impression that, you know, we're making a lot of money when, most veterinary clinics, you know, need to be profitable to be able yeah. to keep employing their, their staff and keep providing the service they do. I, I think you're I think you're exactly right with all those points. And, and just to, to sort of support the idea of COVID compounding these things, I, I completely agree. I think that a lot of the uh, the struggles that we have with with clients with, uh, you know, sort of burnout and compassion fatigue and things like that. I do think that COVID is, is compounding a lot of that stuff. And, and, and one of the ways I think is, and you, you hit on this, we're dealing with clients who may have lost their job. And so they, uh, you know, they may not fit, uh, physically have the resources, which makes our job, you know, obviously more, more challenging. And that puts a lot of stress on us as compassionate people who want to get the best care for pets. But the other thing is the emotional part of it is we're dealing with people who, are having terrible days and people who are yeah. afraid, you know, and they're carrying a lot of stress. And we, as you know, caregivers, people who are saying, Hey, look, your puppy is really sick. Uh, wish you'd vaccinated for Parvo, but you didn't. And now this is kind of the bill that we're looking at. We become targets for a lot of that stress, just anger at unfairness in the world, anxiety about the future. And so I I do, and I guess it's purely anecdotal, but I do feel like we're probably getting beaten up a lot mm. more than we do when times are good and the economy is roaring along and, you know, people are enjoyed, uh, are employed. Not to say that, you know, we don't always run into people who are having bad days, but I, mm. I, I, do, I do feel like that's getting worse. I also think... To your point earlier about, um, you know, what does it what does it mean for us to see pets when the owners are waiting in the parking lot? You know, we lose that opportunity to humanize ourselves. You know, we don't yeah. get they don't see us you know face to face. They don't stand in the exam room with us. We don't get to hear them talk and kind of build that trust of being a good listener. And so when we come out and we make recommendations to these people, it is like a stranger showing up and going, hey, look, here's what you need to do, and this is what it costs. And so yeah. I, I, I think it hurts us as far as being able to build trust with those people so that we can communicate yeah. what pets need. And I think that that makes our job harder. Uh, yes, I agree. I think um, part of you know delivering messages about treatment or diagnostics and, and financials um, is being able to build a rapport with that client before you do that. Um, you know, while you're taking the history and, you know, as I said, um, you just get an idea of who you're in the room with, you know, whether that's a um, mother with three children or a couple whose, you know, dog is their child replacement because they haven't been able to have children. Yeah. That's, it's it's all very different. And um, 
I think part of the job is working out, yeah, working out who you're in the room with. And mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you know, you're not going to change your recommendations, but the right. way you deliver them might be different. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't change our medicine. It changes the way that we communicate though. Uh, let's unpack finances more because you've mentioned that a couple of times. You've got a nice uh, section here. You, you, this is another thing that, that really caught my eye about the article is you bring up a couple of things that I, I think are not uh, right at the top of people's minds. Let's talk a little bit about the economic impact of COVID on veterinarians. How, how do you want to unpack that? Um, I think that, I mean, I, I can probably relate most to uh, the aspect of seeing clients who whose finances have been compromised by mm -hmm. COVID in, in you know whatever way that's happened. Um, I've never um, I've never owned a practice, so mm -hmm. I don't don't really feel um, qualified to to comment on that side of things. Sure. I do have um, a quote in that article that was from uh, one of my friends who does own a manager practice mm -hmm. about you know the the low margins that um, veterinary practices run on in in normal times so you know at times like this they might be taking a hit um but i think the, the most challenging thing i can imagine would be how do you manage with clients who just really don't have the have the money to pay for it and who you know don't have pet insurance or can't afford um pet insurance and i think that's a that's a very real challenge um I, I mean, I encountered that in one of the practices that I worked at in my second year or third year out um, in the UK that was in a um, housing commission estate in a really low socioeconomic area. Mm -hmm. um, and the onus on uh, in that practice was definitely on um, quantity rather than quality medicine, which was mm -hmm. really tough for me. Um, we had five-minute consults and um, just not enough staff to get the work done with, and people could never afford to pay for anything. So right. that was quite that was quite extreme because you were seeing one after the other of um, financially constrained clients rather than maybe you know a couple in a day or something like that um and that actually contributed to my uh experience of burnout mm -hmm. um working in in that practice but yeah um, so i think that's a difficult one there's no easy answers yeah no i i agree with that well, yeah and it, it also confounds the idea of um you know from a pure business standpoint when when we start having restrictions and we can see fewer clients um if we were another business, right? If we, um, if we, I, I don't know, if we did, um, I'm trying to think of a COVID appropriate uh, <laughs> a business and I can't, you know, if we did something non-essential, essential, you know what I mean? If we did, if we were uh, chiropractors or, or masseuses or, or oh. something like that, you know, we would say, well, we're only able to see half as many clients during the day because of the precautions that we're taking. You know, it may be that our prices need to go up so that we can still keep the doors open yeah. while, you know what I mean, while being limited in the number of people that we can take care of in a day and, and yeah. that sort of supply and demand. But of course, we're not going to do that. None of us are in a, you know, none of us would want to uh, do that. And the optics are horrible. And so we're not, you know, we're not 
raising our prices or anything as our ability to serve clients goes down. So I, I think that that's, that's tough in a lot of ways. We're dealing with clients who don't have the resources or, or they're starting more and more to worry about resources in the future. I think that that's true. I run a, yeah. um, a group called Uncharted, which is a group of um, uh, veterinary practice owners and, and managers and, and medical directors and sort of rock stars. Yeah. Uh, and the the conversations in there over the last couple of months have really been enlightening and interesting, you know, especially if we have the, the independent veterinary practices, right? The, you know, the mom and pop shops, things like that, boy, the, the stress that those people feel, uh, with the uncertainty is enormous, you know, and I think it depends on the personality type, but a lot of people mm -hmm. feel great responsibility for their employees and the idea of having to furlough employees or let them go or things like that it, it is, is the worst thing to them. They feel like they're failing these people who trusted them. They feel like they themselves are failing. You know, it, it's um, the emotional toll in that uncertainty I have seen. And again, it's an individual thing. But in some people, I think that that, is, that has been really great. And you, um, you mentioned a bit about locum vets and relief vets. And that work going away as capacity kind of goes down. And so you've got a lot more veterinarians sort of sitting on the sidelines. Yes. Um, I think I, I um, saw in on one Facebook page, uh, veterinary Facebook page, um, just locums posting that they were in real trouble because they had had work booked ahead of time mm -hmm. um, and that then had to be cancelled because, the you know, the practice might be um, doing the sort of splitting the staff uh, into two teams so that, few, you know, fewer people are potentially exposed um, mm -hmm. and then not wanting to bring in uh, someone from the outside to do that and possibly also not being able to afford uh, to, to, to bring someone in. I think, um, you know, I think possibly at this sort of time it's it's difficult but sometimes it's also having to accept that we might have to lower our standards a little bit um mm -hmm. in the way that we practice i mean i've always liked to practice at what i think was a fairly high standard sure. um but i suppose one thing that i did take away from the um practice in the low socioeconomic area in London was that you there's this it's not necessarily all or nothing it's not necessarily the sort of um top tier thousands of dollars or nothing at all um there are options in between and sometimes you know they will work out fine it's just about communicating with your client really really clearly about yeah. the fact that they might, you know, if they can't afford this, that this is then the second best option. It might not get as good a result, but it costs less money and it's potentially better than, um, you know, having to euthanize a pet. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Let's um, let's talk a bit about the veterinary-specific health risks because I haven't heard a lot of discussion about that, but I do think that it's important to, um, to talk about. Uh, lay that out a little bit and sort of what you found as far as, you know, the unspoken truth of the innate risks of working in, as, as a veterinarian or in a, in a veterinary practice. Um, yes, I think um, as I said, I think when we first start in this profession, it's very much um, 
accepted and not necessarily a bad thing that in the first uh, couple of years that you do work really, really hard and mm-hmm. that you maybe don't have much else um, going on in your life because you've worked really hard towards this goal and um, you've still got a lot of practical learning to do. And I think that that's, you know, potentially sustainable for a set period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think if you if you want to have a sort of longer career, at some point you have to put those um, boundaries in um, because it is high stress work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fast paced. Uh, it's unpredictable. Um, so you, you know you don't tend to get bored, but um, there there is a lot of pressure on you. And I think that yeah, as I mentioned before we are emotional shock absorbers for our clients. So whatever they come through the door with, uh, we need to handle that professionally. And sometimes that really means bouncing around. So you can have uh, euthanasia followed by a puppy vaccination and you're not Mm -hmm. going to bring that euthanasia into the puppy vaccination, but it's still taken its its emotional toll. Um, I think that we do tend to hold ourselves to a fairly high standard. Uh, you know, I, I mm-hmm. haven't um, haven't met too many vets who have who don't who don't care about the the work that they do deeply, and right. so we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, and you know, we do have a lot of responsibility. If you're doing um, surgery on an animal, then that animal's yeah. life is in your hands, and um, even if you're really well trained and really practiced, uh, it's still it's still a, a sort of pressure that sits in the sits in the day. Um, yeah. I think that yeah, sometimes working conditions are not uh, ideal. So you know we can work for very long hours and um, not necessarily get breaks and things like mm. that. Um, I think that's possibly getting better. Mm-hmm. Over here, in some in some practices, but yeah, um, I, I, I know, yeah, that um, that again, that going back to that um, practice in England, the on court the weekend on core roster looked really good on paper. So I think it was mm-hmm. only one in six or one in eight. But um, you started work, you worked all day Friday on call Friday night, um, work all day Saturday on call Saturday night on call Sunday, on call Sunday night and work Monday. And this happened to be a busy practice. So Mm -hmm. you weren't guaranteed sleep or a shower or an uninterrupted meal from Friday morning until Monday night, Mm. which is a lot, I think. It it takes a bit to recover. Every six weeks doesn't sound like that much until you're really living it. And then all of a sudden it feels like it's all, you know, you look around and then, here it comes, but well, I I liked your I liked your point as well about sort of the there's the you know the emotional sort of health and and then there's also the physical health and just sort of pointing out you know when we are uh, placing a catheter in uh, in a cat we're not six feet apart we're right on top of each other and um, I saw this great article about really the spread of spread of uh, of the virus and you know how. Our, uh, our, you know, our respiratory rate, you know, are we taking deep breaths? Are we singing? Things like that spread more particles. And so, you know, we get, we get stressed and you, and you have people who are there close together and they're doing this work and we're kind of right on top of each other. And to your point also, 
you know, I know a lot of veterinarians that don't get enough sleep and they push mm-hmm. themselves and they're stressed. And so our immune systems probably are not, we are not the model after which, you know, you should uh, base your, your day-to-day life if you want to fight off contagious disease. And so, yeah, I, I just, that just sort of spoke to me in that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, but yeah, the requirements of our life to work together in small teams and work right on top of each other that by itself puts us in a lot of risk. And I've seen a lot of practices where, um, and I sort of got on a soapbox about this not too long ago, but um, a a lot of the staff and the doctors, the doctors just as as much, will put a mask on to go and talk to the client. And we act like the clients are, um, you know, like the clients are the ones that we need to be concerned about in reality, but then we'll come back and we'll take out off the mask because we're just with our team and, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you go, this is the worst, uh, this is the worst thing you can do. And, you know, the, the research says that you're most likely to get infected by a family member because you spend so much time with them and you're in close proximity. As I I think the same thing is true with our team is you're going to get it from your teammate first because you're, you know, you're, you're around them all day long. And if they're contagious, you're slowly, you know, getting exposed and getting exposed and getting exposed. So anyway, I just, I just think that unlike, you know, other, other businesses where you can easily stay six feet apart, I think about the accountant, there's, there's no reason for them to come in contact. They can totally talk to each other from across the room versus because they're not, they're not restraining animals and doing medical things. So I, I think that that is another unique challenge for us. Yes, that's right. Um, and I think, you know, things I, I mentioned in the article, I think that things can take longer if um, animals are separated from their owners, especially, you know, especially dogs, um, they can become more anxious and maybe tolerate less, um, a less thorough exam. So there's, there's a lot of little, little things that make work less efficient. Um, yeah. 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 Let's, um, let's, let's sort of wrap up by talking about what's getting us through. And you, you had a number of sort of quotes and, and, uh, pieces of insight on, on that and sort of how, uh, how veterinarians are kind of responding, how, how they're, how they're, you know, sort of finding the light to walk towards. Yes. I think, um, I think there's teamwork and humor, and um, it's really important, I think, to state that there are a lot of appreciative clients out there that are making a real difference to, um, you know, the, the vets and vet nurses working. So I don't want to give the impression that we view all of our clients as oh, yeah. um, sort of difficult or anything like that. There's, there's a lot of uh, clients that are really appreciate, appreciative and that makes a big um, difference. And I think... You know, we um, had had one um, colleague joke that, you know, we were sort of born to do this. We have this make and men do mentality. Um, we just need to pretend every person is a parvo puppy. <laughs> yeah. So unpack that. We should, we should pretend every person is a parvo puppy. <laughs> well, so, you, you know, I mean, obviously parvo um, puppies require some fairly intensive barrier nursing and yes. <laughs> barrier doctoring <laughs> yes. so <laughs> having to put them in isolation and only go in with masks and gloves and um really clean up well <laughs> afterwards so um i think that possibly because it's an industry where people are used to uh working under pressure and working as teams and you know um 
if you've got a good team around you, then they can really pull together under difficult conditions and make all the difference in the in the world. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think that's probably the the, the main points. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a firm belief that this too shall pass has helped me a lot. It will. Yeah. Absolutely. It will. This- and, it, you know, I think there's that um, old cliche about – putting your own oxygen mask on before you assist a child in a plane. (laughs) And it's so true, I think, especially now, because that's, that's where you won't get through it. If you run yourself into the ground quickly, then you're going to be out of the game. Um, Yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I think that's a a great place to kind of leave this. Can you speak uh, on, on the work that you're doing. So tell us a little bit about your writing. You have a book coming out this year. Uh, why don't Why don't you um, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm, I, I do mental health advocacy work, um, which I started doing when I came down with some fairly nasty bipolar one disorder after the birth of my first child. Um, and that work is sort of... Um, mainly writing blog posts for Thought Food, which is my website, which mm-hmm. relates to living a good life with mental illness and just generally maintaining good mental health too. Um, I'm also a peer ambassador for SANE, which is an Australian-based organisation that supports people living with complex mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes, my memoir is being published this year, uh, which details my lived experience of burnout and bipolar 1 disorder. Um, so that's a little bit dependent on the, on what COVID does. It's in the final stages of being put together at the moment, but hopefully yeah. sometime this Well, wonderful. Let, let me know for sure when it comes out and I will try to help spread the word when it is, uh, available. Where can people find you online? Where can they read some of your work? Where can they learn more? Um, so probably the easiest place to find me is on the website and the address is Anita Link. That's A-N-I-T-A-L-I-N-K. Um, Thought Food, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-F-O-O-D.com. Cool. I'll put a link down in the show notes and, uh, people can learn more and I'll definitely put a link to the article that we discussed today. Anita, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you love it. I hope you got something out of it. Look, I got to tell you, I love our podcast. The next couple of weeks are insanely good. I am just so thrilled with stuff I've got that's coming up for you. So tune in for that. Really great. How do you treat that stuff? It is going to be super useful and is really fun. And it's just, oh, it's just such good podcast. I'm so pumped up for what's coming. So I hope to see you for that. If you're loving the podcast, please, there's one thing you could do to give back. And that is either or write a, uh, write an honest review on iTunes for the podcast. That's how people find us. That means the world to me or share it with your friends. If there's people that you want to see it, post it on social media. Let people know that it's here. I just want to help. That's what I want. I want to help. I want people to take advantage of this resource and I can't reach them without you. So guys, um, reviews or sharing with your friends really mean the world to me. I just, uh, it makes my heart swell. Take care of yourselves, guys. Be safe. Remember that what we do is awesome and uh, that it matters. I'll talk to you guys soon.